When everyone is on the same page, getting things done at work is easy. No matter what you do or what industry you're in, how you communicate is key. Everything you type is equally important to collaboration, and Grammarly can help. Think of it as your AI writing partner, empowering you to communicate effectively and efficiently so you can make a bigger impact in the workplace. 96% of Grammarly users say it helps them craft more impactful writing. And as the gold standard of responsible AI, Grammarly is your secure AI writing partner that allows your team to make their point and move faster. By understanding your writing and context, Grammarly provides relevant, personalized suggestions. And with tone suggestions, you can navigate even the most difficult work conversations. You can also save time from spending hours editing drafts to just seconds with one click. Sign up and download Grammarly for free at Grammarly.com slash podcast. That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash podcast. Easier said. Done. With your host, Andrew Donaldson, this is Herd Tell. Ah, welcome back to Hertel. Okay, favorite of ours. She's our Western correspondent because she's out there in beautiful Denver, Colorado, up there in the Rocky Mountain High. Uh, Chris Caver. She is an opinion columnist for the Denver Post. Also does a lot of radio, did a whole week's worth of radio when you need to go listen to. Did a great job with that. How are you, my friend? I'm doing great. Great. It's uh, It's hot here, but at least it's dry heat. Denver's weird weather-wise. People told me that when I went out there, and then we went out there in the fall, and it was like, it was those autumn 75 days, but it's at altitude. So it's just 75 is actually just almost chilly, beautiful weather. And they're all like, you got to get out of here by Monday. And Monday it was like, it went down in the sixties. And then the next day after that, it poured the snow. The weather out there is just bizarre. That's Colorado. Yeah. It's crazy. And it changes fast up at altitude, doesn't it? It certainly does. But yeah, beautiful days right now. And I can actually cool my house with a with a swamp cooler, evaporative cooler, which you can't use out east uh, because the air's already too humid. Yeah, but the staying uh, North cool. Carolina house, North Carolina house today, it's ninety eight percent humidity with no wind. Um, just brutal stuff. You do not want to have a swamp cooler. You already got one outside. Uh, you wrote a piece on tipping. I love talking about this because tipping is one of those things where it's a lot of big policy things and a lot of economic things and a lot of cultural things, but it's something we do every day and we never actually think about it. So what got you talking about tipping? Because that goes to the labor crisis. It goes to wages. It goes to economic. Boy, this just crosses all kinds of streams, doesn't it? It certainly does. And I don't think I would have actually thought about it, even though like a lot of Americans, I'm kind of irritated by you know, this idea that we have to tip on everything now. Now, I, I used to be a tipped employee. I, I worked at Domino's Pizza for years, delivering pizzas. I was a waitress at one point. So, you know, I think it's very important to, to tip your servers. But back in the day, it was like, it was kind of a standard 10%. It was for, it was food related, or if you got your hair cut, or maybe if you got a massage, that's when you tipped. But now it's like up to 20%. And the guy at the Starbucks who just hands you a cup of brewed coffee wants a 20% tip on top of a $6 drink. I, I think people are experiencing a kind of tipflation or tip guilt, this idea that I have to tip everyone everywhere. And so it's, it's frustrating. And then you wonder, 
you know, at what point does a tip just become a surcharge? It, it, I think a lot of people are, are thinking about this. The technology part of that you mentioned, Starbucks, they hand it through the window and you get a pick. Not calling anybody out, but I've seen them where they don't ask. They just hit the buttons and I know exactly what to do. I'm like, gee, I wonder which button they hit. It also, <laughs> things like a restaurant. Um, I just stayed at a place Sunday. Somebody who's, you know, one of my non-kid kids. You have some of those in your life working her first job. Wanted to tip pretty good. I had to ask, like, do you guys split tips? How does this work? She's like, oh, well, I'm the hostess, so I get this percentage off of it. And she explained it to us, and then we, you know, reacted accordingly. Not everybody does this differently. There's no set way of doing it. But we do have to acknowledge tipping has been exploited by, especially in the restaurant industry, as a way to keep wages down for a long, long time. There could be some overcorrection here, but then there's also that technology component you just mentioned where it's like, I think there is some of these companies have just figured out like, hey, here's a way to get some free money. It is. A, and it feels like a surcharge. And, and how this all came up is that we've got this very unique restaurant, Casa Bonita in Denver and uh, reopened by the, the South Park guys after they refurbished it. They made an executive decision that they were going to go with no tips um, and have all of their workers make $30 an hour. And it made sense for them because you pre-order the food. So there was some ambiguity. Who should I tip? Should I tip? And now it's it's very clear. When you know, no tips, you pay up front. And you know, it's more expensive than it used to be. It is what it is. But I like the clarity because I feel like we're all at the situation where we're trying to figure out. One of the reasons that I kind of resent giving extra money to the barista is baristas generally are paid like regular employees versus a waitress who probably makes half that that base wage um, with the expectation that tips go on top. And so I, I think what people really want now is just clarity. Who should I tip? When should I tip? I think we would miss tipping if we just got rid of it altogether because I have to admit, I like tipping the gal that does my hair. I think she does a good job. We have a nice relationship and it kind of feels good. Even though she's part owner of the tiny little stylist place, it feels good to put money on top of that because I just really like her. Am I willing to give that up just so that we have some clarity and fair wages all around? Maybe. Let's slow down though, because people are going to go, wait, wait a minute, they're paying $30 an hour at Casa Bonita. Um, you need to clarify <laughs> for folks that don't know what this is. Calling Casa Bonita a Mexican restaurant is kind of like calling your corner furniture store Ikea. That's the gap we're talking here, right? Is that a good comparison for people? This place is just out of control, big and over the top. And it's 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 a beloved institution in Denver. You go to Denver, everybody talks about it. It was closed the last time I went to Denver, so we haven't got to go yet. But just explain to people what to, this is like an institutional place. So it's not just that number or $30 an hour. When you say that about that place, everybody knows it. And that's what made it such a talking point. It's true. And then, of course, you also have the South Park guys buying it. But so it's this, it looks like a big uh, Spanish hacienda. It's Pepto, Pepto Pink, um, Pepto Bismol Pink. So it's, you know, it stands out. It was built the time that you had all of those theme restaurants. Now, we don't have theme restaurants as much now, but back in the, the 60s and 70s, Denver had a whole bunch of, of theme restaurants. You could go to the White Fence Farm and have a home-cooked dinner on this you know, farm-like place. There, were, there was a place with a big organ grinder that, with a clapping monkey and, and black and white films. There were all these like, really neat theme restaurants, which we really don't have anymore. And the one that kind of remains, oh, and the spaghetti factory as well. 
uh, but we have this Casa Bonita. Well, it, it was featured in a South Park episode. So when it went up for sale, those, you know, the, the South Park guys, they bought it and they refurbished it. I guess they put millions of dollars in it because as I think all of us who ate there can attest, it hadn't actually been fixed up for, I don't know, maybe four decades. <laughs> I think they still, I'm not even sure the decor had been dusted. It, 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 it was looking a little grim the last time I was there, but it was always cliff diving into this big pool, you know, Mexican food, a, a cave of doom that you would kind of go, you know, pirate's cave and you would go in there and be, you know, skeletons which have fallen apart because they were decades old. But it was, it's like an experience. Um, it used to be kind of like shabby cool experience because everything was kind of broken. <laughs> you know, the arc, half the games in the arcade didn't work. And the food was kind of uniformly terrible. Now I guess the food is better, but they still have all the attractions. So it's sort of the new and improved Casa Bonita. And that's part of why I think this whole tipping thing came to my attention was there were articles about Casa Bonita and this, this changeup, which I, I think was a good choice. You just touched on a big part of this is the ownership decided we're going to do this. We're going to have clarity. Yeah. In the service industry, and part of this, we got to acknowledge here too, one thing COVID did was it put a spotlight on the service industry because those people just got screwed left, mm -hmm. right, and center by everybody. The service industry where you're going to see a lot of the tipping stuff and gratuities and things like this, there's there's not a lot of uniformity. Like you said, there's not a lot of clarity on tipping, although some places will have it on the menu or whatever. The reaction to this is, well, we need to have it uniform. The problem is, this is all individually leadership based. I don't know that you can have uniformity because I really don't know that you want the government to start regulating tips. That sounds like something that's going to be a problem. And that's the first thing I've seen a lot of people call for is like, well, of course, this gets lumped into the minimum wage argument and all that stuff. This stuff isn't one size fits all. And if you start trying to regulate it one size fits all, you're probably going to wind up making it worse. So what do we do besides just voting with our feet and our wallet and our hard-earned dollars? I, I'm with you. I don't want the government weighing in. They'll just make things worse like they most often do. I, 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 you know, I think it is going to be a place by place thing. And I think it's going to be a personal choice. I've basically stopped tipping on orders in, in which it's not really a, a service experience. Um, you know, if you sit down at a restaurant, somebody's coming up to your table multiple times, getting drinks, bringing your food, chatting with you. That's a situation where I really feel it's very appropriate to tip 20%. If I go to the movie theater bar, to, you know, to carry a, a, a glass of overpriced wine into the movie in a plastic cup, you know, the last time I did that, I paid $18 for a cup of wine that I don't think the bottle was more than 10 bucks. So I, and then I was asked to put a tip on top of that that's kind of where I, I mean, it, it's, I feel funny about it. Yeah, because it feels weird to say no and to hit that no button. But I, I think if it's just something that's being handed to me, I'm not going to tip anymore. Um, if it's something where there's an ongoing service component, of course, I'm going to tip. Um, it, it's, you know, especially since there is a wage issue there, they're counting on those tips. Here's where I'd like some clarity, though. If I get a massage, it's customary to tip the person who gives the massage. If I get Botox though, is that medical? Should I tip that person? I, I you know, there's, there's just all this ambiguity. And I think it's up to us and the different stores, restaurants, uh, you know, massage places to, I guess, 
give us some sense of clarity. for joining us. Do we not talk about the service sector industry correctly? I know you do other stuff like radio and things like this. And you teach, you teach communications. You're a communications expert, for lack of a better word. We don't talk about the service industry correctly, do we? Whether it's economically, the cultural impact, because these are the people we see every day, literally every day, whether it's a grocery store. I wrote about this too during COVID. Across the street, the two schools, the elementary school and the high schools across the street from the grocery store and the little shopping center. Same people every day in one, but everybody goes over there, everybody going to die, but everybody's over here. You could see the cultural. Folks, if you've listened to the Herd Tell program, you've heard our friend Gabriella Hoffman, but you need to make sure you're checking out her podcast, District of Conservation. It's a podcast exploring the nuances of true conservation efforts from D.C. and beyond. From topic discussions to exclusive interviews with conservation and energy newsmakers, Gabriella keeps listeners appraised of the latest news stories while elevating important voices. Listen to the District of Conservation on Apple Podcasts or wherever podcasts are played. Religion is at the intersection of our 21st century life, even if we don't express a faith. At a time when it seems that religion isn't as prevalent as it once was, it still leaves its mark everywhere. As a pastor, I know that religion isn't something I just do on a Sunday, but it's found in every nook and cranny of my life. Sexuality, politics, social media, the economy, war, nationalism, all have some kind of religious angle to them. And as a communicator, I want to find the stories that can help people understand this part of our society that is so important to so many. Hi, I'm Dennis Sanders, and I'm the host of Church and Maine. Church in Maine is a podcast about the journey of faith and where it intersects with modern life. I look at faith with a journalist's eye, asking the who, where, what, why, and how religion affects some of the major issues of the day. Join me as we journey together. You can listen to Church in Maine podcasts at the website churchinmaine.org or on your favorite podcast app. I look forward to seeing you. We'll clash of that. And you had the teachers who aren't allowed to work because the health crisis, but it's the same people at the grocery store. We never really dealt with that part of all this, have we? We don't really know how to talk about the service industry, appreciating these folks. You know, obviously the service industry isn't going to pay like the top scientist at NASA, but at the same time, I don't think we have an appreciation and we haven't figured out how to talk about the economic and cultural impact of a service sector that is a huge part of the economy that people didn't really pay attention to pre-COVID. And I think some of this is the hangover that now is like, oh, well, we know how important these people are and we all saw them get really, really screwed. Let's just call it what it was. Now we want to tip them. That's part of this conversation, isn't it? I think so. And also it's because the so the, the service sector is going to continue to grow um, as we have, you know, we're, we're a wealthy nation. We can now afford to pay people to do things that we would have already done ourselves. You know, we pay people to walk our dogs, for example. Um, you know, I've been paid, I, you know, I, I take one-off services. Somebody paid me to design their, their landscape. 
Um, you know, and I and I gave them some help in in that process. I think we're a lot of folks, whether you're Gen X, Millennial, or Z, chances are you have a bunch of different jobs. Um, I, I say chances are more so than the generation uh, boomers. You know, that was one job for life, basically. Uh, I, I do probably I do all kinds of stuff. I do estate sales for people sometimes. I do <laughs> landscape design, teach some. I do a lot of editing. I love doing editing. Um, so I'm kind of a like a Swiss army knife with a certain number of tools on it. And it's interesting. I think we're going to see a lot more of that. How do we pay people? How do we treat people? Um, is, is interest, it's an interesting subject. And it's a subject I think that not only because of COVID, but because we are going into a deeper, deeper service economy uh, with fewer factory jobs and fewer of those kinds of jobs and more services, including recreational entertainment services, also medical services. Um, it, it's just an, you know, it's an interesting day. I, I've, I've even paid, been paid to like organize somebody's house for them. Um, you know, rewind the clock 20 years ago, like nobody did. It's just interesting. Yeah, Krista Kay for joining us. I think there's something happening culturally and politically here with, and the service, I think the service sector is kind of the leading edge of this stuff because, again, that's where you're going to see economic trouble first, right? Cash registers start don't ring quite as often. Stores aren't as crowded. We know the reverse of that, too, with the toilet paper stuff, right? You get runs on things, <laughs> things yeah. like that. Oh, the dream. service sector is such a cutting edge of what's happening economically, culturally, politically. Look, I, I, I'll be honest. I've wrote pieces off what I overhear standing in line at the grocery store. Because you just hear people talking or at Starbucks or just, you know, you what are normal people that aren't chronically online like us? What are they talking about? I find the service sector to really be this kind of area where we don't pay attention to it. But we all like no matter how rich you are, unless you're just having everything delivered to your house. Everybody from Porter Rich is dealing with this service sector. It's really the one part of the economy and the one part of culture and the one part of politics Everybody's in that pool to some extent. So why don't we pay more attention to it? Because we could probably do more there because you know how we do. We all focus on all these outliers instead of this thing where, well, wait a minute, everybody's involved in this. Maybe we should take some of our lessons from this big pool of people instead of this crazy outlier, you know, in New Jersey or wherever. That seems like we just don't pay enough attention to this, do we? Yeah, it is interesting. Like, I, I do think we're having a, a lot of discussion on what jobs should pay, um, but, you know, in markets, it's supply and demand. It, you know, nothing is really worth anything innately. And I'm talking about anything, both a product or a service. Obviously, a human being, a, a, you know, has immeasurable worth, um, every single human being. But certain jobs pay certain amounts, certain products get certain amounts, and those amounts are determined both by demand and supply. So, you know, I, I think there's that kind of economic complexity to it, but then there's also the human complexity of making sure that people, you know, the person that works at the grocery store has a, uh, you know, a, a decent a decent wage and an ability to support a family. Um, we've also got the issue of automation coming in in some some situations where politicians have said, okay, we're going to raise up all of these these minimum wages. Uh, to a certain level, if that level is not tenable in the marketplace, 
those shops and stores are more likely to turn to automation. And so you'll see situations where you order your own food um, and then maybe somebody just brings it to you so they don't have to have as, as, as many staff. So there's a, there's a lot of complexity to this. I will say on a human level, if, if you ever see somebody mistreating a waiter, a waitress, somebody at a shop, um, I think it's important to step in um, and, and say, excuse me, you don't need to be treating that person like that or offer to go and get a manager for the person who's being berated because nobody should have to be abused verbally by another person. It's just it, the adults in the room need to step up and say, excuse me, you need to stop to the person that's doing the abuse. Yeah, waitressing and customer service jobs are important. Public facing customer service jobs, I got to update that, are some of the hardest jobs. You know who's got a really hard job now, and I've noticed it more and more? The person that's in charge of watching the self checkouts. I see those people getting oh, yeah. more unfair abuse than any. And I'm a, I'm a, look, I've come around. I used to hate them. Now I love them. Now I don't even want to go to the other ones. I'm a self. It, it's funny when new people roll into my grocery store that I go to pretty much daily. I was, I was like, hey, come here, let me show you how to use this thing real quick. Cause I know more about it than they do. And I know how to turn it off. So don't talk to me. I don't like machines that talk to me. That's first. They, <laughs> I turn them off too. Yeah, I had a new employee that she's like, how'd you turn that off? I, I can't stand listening to all this. I was like, oh, you just push this button. That person, I, I've watched that job that did not exist five or six years ago, really, to any extent. I've watched that evolve to one of the hardest jobs I see daily now is that self-checkout person as far as just taking abuse. It's not, it's not their fault that the banana was not properly labeled or whatever. No, they're not there to go get your one more kumquat, that, you know, whatever the craziness is. That's where I've seen a lot of abuse. And that's a job that didn't even exist for the previous generation because there was no such thing as self-checkout. And it's just one of those examples of society changed, the technology evolved, and now, you know, waitressing is still tough. Now that person's got a real hot button job and it didn't even exist before. And now that's the one I watch. What you're talking about is like, okay, are they abusing that person? Because that's a tough job. It is. And a lot of these places are understaffed, at least here in Denver. So you have one waitress working an entire floor. And I do think it's important not only to treat that person well and to tip that person well, but also as needed, step in if somebody's being nasty because it. I get people are frustrated. We're all frustrated at different times over different issues, but no one has the right to treat another person as though they, they are beneath them. Um, this is wrong. Okay, I got to ask you one political question before I let you go. I find Colorado um, one of the real fascinating states over the last few years. There's a couple places I kind of watch to see what's going on big pictures, places like Atlanta. Colorado's another one of them because y'all are interesting. You've got a little bit of everything out there. You've got everything from uh, Governor Paulus, openly gay Democrat, to Lauren Bobbert, um, all right there in one little <laughs> yeah. area. That's quite the spectrum. What's the feeling out there right now? Because you're and and I don't think I'm talking out of school here. The state GOP is kind of a mess right now. 
they're having a lot of fighting. Well, I'm, I don't want to spend 45 minutes on Hot it, but it, mess. it's not good. They're not doing real great. This, this state, is it a purple state? Is it a bellwether state? There's so much going on there that kind of microcosms the national. I find it really interesting. You're there, though, for the outsiders just looking in. What should they be watching in Colorado over the next oh, 14, 15 months of this election? Um, you know, it used to be a bellwether state. It used to be a purple state. It is now a solidly blue state. It's no different than California, um, Maryland, Massachusetts. There are conservative pockets, but because the front range is so it's, it's so heavily blue. And front range, it, Colorado is basically sort of a, I don't know, we'll say almost half flat, which people don't expect, but the eastern part is completely flat. Then you hit the mountains, and of course that's, uh, you know, there's, there's mountains there. Along the front range is where most of the population lives, right at that borderland. And, and we've had so many folks coming in from Illinois, California, and other places that fled high tax states, but these people are solidly Democrat. So it really did turn the state blue. Then you have complete idiocy within the party, which caused a lot of normal Republicans to leave the party. The party, party uh, state party is a complete hot mess full of conspiracy theorists and, and lunatics. And so it, it turns off normal people who are like, you know, there, there's actually a lot of moderates in this state that are uncomfortable with extremes on both sides and Republicans cannot recapture some of those those voters until the uh, the whole Trump conspiracy theory thing goes away. It's going to be Colorado will be blue for the foreseeable future. I say this as somebody who's a Republican, so I I wish you could go back to being purple. Yeah, talk radio is doing really well out there, though, because those folks, they still listen to their media, don't they? Krista Kafer, love having you with us. Let everybody know where they can keep up with you. You, of course, write for the Denver Post. You do other stuff. You also have a sub stack where you re-up a lot of your stuff and your wonderful social media. Let folks know where they can keep up with you until we get you back on Hertel again. So you can follow me at, at Krista Kafer. My uh, Substack is on there. You can also, it's Krista Kafer, both with Ks. You can, I can, I, about four days after I published with the Denver Post, I put that piece back up. I've also got some uh, bigger essays that are kind of interesting, but you'll need to subscribe for those. Uh, worth it. I do. Y'all should too. Chris Kafer, appreciate your time, ma'am. Thank you so much. Thanks. Thank you, ma'am. All the music on her tell is provided under a creative content license from monstercat.com. Religion is at the intersection of our 21st century life, even if we don't express a faith. At a time when it seems that religion isn't as prevalent as it once was, it still leaves its mark everywhere. As a pastor, I know that religion isn't something I just do on a Sunday, but it's found in every nook and cranny of my life. Sexuality, politics, social media, the economy, war, nationalism, all have some kind of religious angle to them. And as a communicator, I want to find the stories that can help people understand this part of our society that is so important to so many. Hi, I'm Dennis Sanders, and I'm the host of Church and Maine. Church and Maine is a podcast about the journey of faith and where it intersects with modern life. I look at faith with a journalist's eye, asking the who, where, what, why, and how religion affects some of the major issues of the day. 
Join me as we journey together. You can listen to Church in Maine podcasts at the website churchinmaine.org or on your favorite podcast app. I look forward to seeing you. Folks, you've heard of Ethan Brown on the Hurt Tell Show a couple of different times, but if you're interested in learning about how to discuss things like climate change without all the politics and doom and gloom, head over to his podcast, The Sweaty Penguin. Sweaty Penguin is a late-night comedy-style climate podcast working to add nuance, critical thinking, humor, and hope to the climate conversation. they got over 100 episodes already, breaking down weekly news stories and specific topics from the vanilla to the ADHD to the international accountability to orangutans. Yes, I know, it's a comedy thing, so just go with it. But each time, exploring different ways we can make progress on these issues while still helping the economy, health, security, and everything else we care about. Feel overwhelmed, exhausted, or excluded by today's climate change discourse? This is the podcast for you. Find The Sweaty Penguin wherever you get your podcasts or at www.thesweatypenguin.com.